Levine stolen. Devin Downey, who else? Downey down the floor, turns a man inside out. The teardrop, no. Oh, tip and slam by Sam Muldrow. Tom Daniel Orton on the head. Downey, a shake, a shot from three. Yes, sir. Deep two from Devin Downey. To Devin, 40 feet in front of Liggins. Four seconds, crosses him over, down the lane. Lefty layup, good, as time expires. That'll do it for the first half. Downey there, Downey has the rebound. Incox can take the lead. Downey pull up three. Give it to him. Timeout, John Calipari. Jackson on the pop-up, backdoor down, he left of the lane, lay it good! Hey there, it's Gary Parrish, it's Friday, January 27th, otherwise known as the day after the seven-year anniversary of Devin Downey's 30-point game against John Wall that produced South Carolina's upset of Kentucky and dealt John Calipari his first loss ever as UK's coach. Shout out to Devin Downey. What's up, Terry Teagle? In honor of the occasion, I have watched Devin Downey's highlights from that game. I did it last night. Uh, just a reminder of legendary stuff, controlled the game from start to finish. Uh, I'm going to link the highlights, of course, uh, from that game in the podcast post on CBSSports.com. So if you get time, make sure to watch them and celebrate one of the greatest performances in the history of college basketball by a man whose jersey should hang from the rafters at Colonial Life Arena just like it hangs from the rafters of our hearts. Shouts to you, Devin Downey. Hope you're doing okay. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I apologize in advance for my voice. At some point over the past 48 hours, I have mostly lost it. Uh, I don't feel bad, but I know I sound bad. Either way, we'll get through it. Matt Norlander is here with me, and both of us, uh, by the way, are, are still allowed to wear CBS Sports gear and to use our own bathrooms uh, as, as we enter this final weekend uh, of January. So we're, we're doing better than, than Duke's players. Coach K has had enough. Matt Norlander, the Blue Devils are, are are banned from wearing Duke gear. They can't use their own locker room. Uh, do you respect the decision or respond with an eye roll emoji? Uh, there's no way this would happen if Devin Downey was at Duke, first of all. No, the prob- problems would have been solved. You'd have a primary ball handler, a dominant point guard that understands how to score, understands, uh, 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 understands time and score, understands how to get others involved but get his own and right now duke would probably be undefeated with like 17 double digit wins without a doubt and shout out to devin downey and shout out to uh to calvin natt um for sure shout out to calvin okay let's get let's get into this thing because yes on thursday it was broke by our friends jeff goodman and dan o'neill that mike shesky had all the players over to his house told them they weren't playing up to the duke standard and subsequently said, you're banned from the locker room and you're not allowed. I'm telling you what you can't wear and you cannot wear anything that says Duke basketball on it. Hey, student this athletes, is, I already make a billion dollars yeah. a year coaching come, you. Come to my come to my home. C- come, come, Let's come. do this. And come to my home. <laughs> right. I'm sure I'm sure it's not exactly a, a three bedroom, 1700 square foot little shack. Okay? Right. Come to my home and uh, and I'm going to lay this out for you. So this is ob- uh, I got a few thoughts on this. This is obviously not the first time this has ever happened. This kind of motivational tactic has been around for a long time. I, I think it's corny. I think and it's silly. corny. I will say, and I let me. I got a few thoughts here. But if it works, then it works, and it works, and it works, and whatever. Like, okay, if if they can turn around their season, this is the reason why. Then he pushed the exact right button, and it happens. It doesn't change the fact that it's corny, unoriginal. I mean, this is right up there with taking the jerseys out behind the bleachers, bring a shovel and 
and having some sort of spiritual rebirth by burying something. Or, you know, or, just, or taking the names off the back of the jerseys. Exactly, exactly. But this is, I mean, banning them from the locker room. You can't wear Duke stuff. I mean, are they coming out? Are they coming out in pennies how about, how about, on, on Saturday for the weight game? I mean, is it, is it just going to be some 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 white pennies like they're running I, in JV practice? I love I love the idea of I make a billion dollars a year coaching you. Uh, our university makes money off of you. We still don't compensate you in any real way. And oh, by the way, you can't use your locker rooms or wear your school issued apparel anymore. Like, what are we doing? And and you like Kay's not the first one to do this, but I have always thought it was just like. Yeah, I, I just roll my eyes at it. Like, I, I guess that uh, oftentimes when you're coaching a roster dominated by teenagers, manipulation and mind games uh, go hand in hand with it. So, per, you know, per, perhaps this is brilliant, but it is certainly uh, unoriginal. Uh, listen, Parrish, this look, Duke has become a, a genuinely a fascinating story because now. I feel like more and more people are really starting to one, you know, talk about it, write about it, pay attention to what it was like. It, it starts as a preseason number one team and, and really a team with maybe some casual interest around the sports world because of the freshmen that were coming in. But now that college basketball is becoming more and more of a story that you see, you know, on rundowns like PTI or on radio shows or on Sports Center and whatnot. Uh, certainly the the attention and the and the, the spotlight's getting a little bit brighter and this is just it does it seems below Shashevsky to do this personally but apparently he's done it before by the way and maybe when he did it or he's done it five times I don't know how many times he's done this maybe he's only done it once maybe it's worked and that's why he's going back to that tactic who knows and if it is I can understand his logic there the visual of calling the team to his house as he's recuperating from back surgery you know probably having steamed over watched the NC State game live and then probably the tape again a second or third time and just like I'm picturing him on a throne <laughs> like all the players like sitting Indian style in front of him as he lectures him you know from on high and, and tells him what they haven't done right that might not be the problem here the problem could be listen there's been plenty of talk that the team chemistry isn't great in the locker room that they can't decide who's going to be the alpha because it was expected to be Grayson. But then Luke Kennard started so strong. Jason Tatum is definitely a guy that wants the ball in his hands. How much of this is truly impacting Duke's ability to win? That's something that we can't answer with, you know, definitive, tangible uh, explanations. But I'm sure it's a part of it. And if that's part of it, I don't know if what if doing this is necessarily going to solve the whole thing. But it's definitely become the story. And then, of course, there was a players-only meeting afterward and Ooh, let's 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 double down on the cliche. I know, I know. I, I, like whatever, they're gonna do what they got to do, and they got to rally. Like I remember when Michigan made the Final Four a few years ago, and apparently there was a players-only meeting in like late January that turned the season around. And they sometimes maybe that's legit. Sometimes I think it's very easy to say, hey, listen, this is gonna be something that we did, and we can use it to feed the media and it'll help tell our story. And it, it can kind of be overblown. But ultimately, sometimes, sometimes cause and effect don't actually line up. Exactly. Like, Ex like exactly. just because you hold a players only meeting and then your season turns around doesn't always mean that your season turned around because of players only meeting. Perhaps your season just turned around because sometimes seasons just turn around. Yeah, without a doubt. And listen, they, they have a get right game um, this weekend. Or or, or or get or get on the wrong side game. 
Right. So they've got to play. Listen, Wake's not an easy. It's not an easy win, especially on the road. I do think Wake's numbers are a little bit inflated. Like I don't think Wake is a top 40 team in the country, but they got to go on the road. And they got to take that, and then they got to play Notre Dame uh, two days later on the road. So Duke is almost certainly going to take a, a loss here in the next two games, maybe two. And if that happens, yeah, I mean, listen, we're going to have to talk about it more and write about it more because they are the most fascinating team right now. You can't deny that. Um, Harry Giles has not – he is now over a month into his return and hasn't shown major strides. They don't have a point guard, which is something that it's, – it's an undeniable hurdle at this point. I did not think it was going to be that in the grand scheme. But between Grayson Allen or Luke Kennard or Frank Jackson, who's Mike, a combo guard, and he's not getting as much playing time now um, that the roster's more fully filled out. It'll be it'll be interesting. And I will be interested, by the way, GP, to see because this I thought about this a couple weeks ago. Like if Duke struggled and it has struggled here. OK, without a doubt, it's three and four in the ACC. If they struggled a lot. Like, is Krzyzewski going to for sure put his health before everything or is he going to rush himself back? Now, he hasn't yet. And the expectation was that he would be back Pittsburgh game February 4th, Carolina for sure on February 9th. Um, is that still going to happen? And uh, and if not, um, can they get out of this rut with Capel on the bench? Because Jeff Capel had a tremendous article in the Players' Tribune, uh, Thoughts with His Father, who's battling ALS. It was an amazing read. I actually finally read it last night. I do encourage everyone to go read it. It's fantastic. But from a coaching perspective, it this is nothing against Capel. There is just a there is an undeniable difference between having Krzyzewski on the bench and anyone else. And that certainly also seems to be an element in play here. So it's it's turning on Duke quick here. And and I don't know if they can necessarily get this thing fully figured out before March. Here's what I would have done if I were K. I would have banned my players from wearing Duke apparel. And then required Dennis Smith to wear Duke apparel. I would have tried to get him in a Duke uniform. And then problem <laughs> solved, right? Why can't you do that? I mean, he's the pa- most powerful guy in college basketball. Give it a shot, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Listen, I feel like a lot of people are kind of laughing at Duke and Krzyzewski with this move. Um, well, you've had so, they've had so many like non-basketball headlines. Yeah. Like, why create another one? Well, so... There is a, a school of thought out there that this. I know, know they didn't intend to create it, but like here we I know, are. But the cynics will say this was a way to get us to stop specifically talking about Grayson Allen. What do you think about that? No, I, I mean no. I mean uh, like. It, I also say I no because that. if Grayson Allen does anything in the Wake Forest game, it again yeah, becomes it doesn't matter. Um, here's what here's what I would say, and you touched on most of this, but I'm writing about it. Like um, I've got to finish when we get done with this podcast, but I'm, I'm mostly done. Uh, just sort of exp- you know, uh, mocking the idea of come to my home and 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 relinquish your gear, you know, like just sort of goofing on that a little bit. But then, like explaining at least from my perspective, Duke's problems aren't psychological problems. Now, I will say that, and I mentioned this earlier, playing mind games and manipulating situations can work at the college level. I don't know that you can do it at the NBA level, but it can work in college. And a great example is 2014 with. Kentucky, and similar, preseason number one team, struggled all year, lost three of its last four games, and then John Calipari before the SEC tournament explained to his team that he had a tweak, that he had tweaked something, right? And he wouldn't, you know, famously, 
also ridiculously but famously wouldn't explain what the tweak was and but like just you know uh, I'll tell you later if I want but like we we figured it out I figured it out like it was all my fault that we've struggled all year and I feel stupid that I didn't figure this out before uh, but I have figured it out now so we're good and all that was was John A, trying to get his players to put the bad stuff behind him, recognizing that, okay, regular season's over. We we finished 12 and 6 in the league. That's not what we were supposed to do. But let's put it behind us. Let's not carry that with us anymore. Hey, guys, this wasn't about you. It was my fault. I failed you, but I've now fixed you. Let's go be awesome. To get his players to buy in, that's what that tweak was about. But also to get his fans to to like stop focusing on the losses and and start focusing on oh wow, Coach Cal figured it out. We're gonna be great again. Make Kentucky basketball great again with your tweak. And um, it it worked. Like they went to the national championship game, and ultimately, um, John did like unveil the tweak. And it was like I told Andrew Harrison to to try to look to pass more. I mean, it was nothing. I mean, it, it was basically a it was minor at best, and and but basically nothing. But it was all a mind game. Convince those kids that, like, that what has already happened doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. Let's go forward. You're fixed now. Hey, you're fixed now. I've got a magic trick. You're fixed. Go be awesome. So like, it worked there, and perhaps this can work similarly. Like just playing mind games on teenagers. But the truth is, if you watch Duke play, um, they've got real basketball issues. I think part of it is they don't have a natural point guard. And while I, I, I recognize that as a possible issue in the preseason, I also mostly discounted it because I just figured the talent throughout the rest of the roster was good enough to overcome anything. Uh, beyond that, you know, they didn't have a natural high-quality point guard on the roster last year either. And they ran the fourth most efficient offense in the country and went to the Sweet 16. So the way I figured was... Um, if they could do that with that roster, what could they do with this roster? Win the whole thing. And perhaps they still can, but it's not going well. So the question becomes why? Why isn't going well? And I think you touched on it. The roles have not been clearly defined at all from the beginning. And some of that was rooted in the fact that Harry Giles and uh, Jason Tatum and Marquise Bolden all started the season on the bench. And Luke Kennard got off to this amazing start. Because last year, uh, the way the roster set up, yeah, Grayson was going to be the primary ball handler, particularly as the season unfolded. Um, but there were only so many guys to take the shots. Like, they lost their top four scorers off the year be- season before its team that won the national championship. So, like, uh, you know, Grayson took, I think last year, 14.3 shots per game. Brandon Ingram took 13.4. Uh, Luke Kennard was happy to just get his 9.3 because he was a freshman and whatever. That's great for a freshman. Uh, playing at Duke, and uh, there wasn't really anybody else who needed shots. And so Grayson could average like three and a half assists a game but still get 14 shots a game. And it just worked because there were so few people that needed shots. Fast forward to today, and because of the way Luke Kennard started this season as a like legitimate National Player of the Year candidate, um, he probably now thinks he needs 14 to 15 shots a game. Well, guess who else does? Jason Tatum. Because he's a projected top five pick and a score, a natural score. I don't, I don't know how many other things he's great at, but he's a natural score. He's got to get his shots. Well, then there's Grayson. And if you're going to get 14 shots a game last year after um, – and, and while becoming an All-American, you know, you probably think you need 14 shots a game this year. So at least, because why wouldn't you? And so now 
you got three guys who probably think they all should be scoring in a, uh, above 20 points per game, getting 14, 15 shots per game. And Duke's only taken about 60 field goal attempts per game. And if you take Kennard, Allen, and Tatum off the table, they still got six other guys who are averaging double digits in minutes per game who are all also heralded high school recruits. So you don't have a natural point guard to decide who gets what. So what happens? Everybody tries to get whatever they can whenever they can. And the best example of this was late in Monday's loss to NC State. Um, they're down 74-73, 2.30 left. Duke is. Now, that's not ideal, not where they were supposed to be. They were like 16.5-point favorites at, at tip-off. So the idea that you're down under three minutes to play, you're in a tough spot. But still fine. You're at home, and it's a one-possession game. And their next three possessions went like this. Luke Kennard missed three-pointer. Grayson Allen missed three-pointer. Jason Tatum missed three-pointer. It was almost like every one of them was scared to pass it because they knew they wouldn't get it back. So let's just go get this shot. Let's go get, what's the easiest shot in basketball to get? A long jumper. You can get that, you can get an open long jumper whenever you want it. So let's not run anything. Uh, let's not pass it because I might not get it back. Uh, Kennard missed three-pointer. Allen missed three-pointer. Tatum missed three-pointer. And by the time they were done impatiently uh, jacking long jumpers, uh, they were down 79-73. Now they still had a chance uh, in the final minutes. Tatum turned the ball over, but uh, in crunch time, when they needed to run stuff, when there was still plenty of time, when they had an opportunity to put the inferior team away, it went miss jumper, miss jumper, miss jumper by guys who it looked like didn't want to give the ball up because they were worried if they did, they wouldn't get it back. If you have a natural point guard who's reliable and a leader, they can decide that. They can figure that out. But when you don't, but instead you've got a lineup with three guys who consider themselves big-time scorers, because they are big-time scorers, it can be problematic. It reminded me a little bit, I don't know if you remember this, but when uh, the Grizzlies came from like 20-something down to beat the Warriors in Oracle a few weeks ago, Kevin Durant like way, like called for the ball at the top of the key and then waved everybody off else off for an ISO because he was like, I don't want to give this up. I want to take this shot. I'm, one of the, I'm an elite-level scorer. And Draymond was furious with them. Like they got in each other's face because Draymond was like, that's not how we play, man. Like, you know, we, we're going to put Steph in a pick and roll and let him make a play or make a shot. But we're not just going to ISO. You don't have to keep the ball because you're scared you won't get the ball back. That's not how we do things. We're going to run something. And um, and, and I, I guess that resonated with Kevin. He took it well. Um, but but that's what Duke did the other night. It was differently. But it was different, but it was it was rooted in similar stuff. I got the ball. We're down one. If I give this up, I might not get it back. I want to be the guy who takes this shot. I'm going to take this shot. And all of these things are fixable, I guess, but they're undeniable problems at this point. For two things, and we can transition. Uh, for state fans, you know, listen, I know we have NC State fans that listen to the podcast. That was a, a really good win. And listen, I've been vocal on how in I am on Dennis Smith overall. So for that, that's almost uh, the epitome of being a state fan is that you get that kind of win. It's it's too funny that the last two times states won at Cameron, Kay hasn't been on the sidelines. So they haven't actually beat Krzyzewski in that building uh, in 29 years, which is so it will be 30 years by next season if they want to try and get that. But uh, your team is frustrating because it's got these awful losses and it's capable of doing that. This has been a pattern with state in recent years because they've actually shown themselves to be good in the tournament but totally been erratic in the season. So I'll be interested to see what NCSU does over the next two or three weeks here and if it can use this game as, as a real 
turning point, so to speak, not to use just a brutal cliche, but if that win would be the thing that uh, hinges NC State season for the better or not. And for Duke, it's not like it's Kentucky in regard to its conference. So with the tweak and with Calipari, he was in an inferior league that didn't have a lot of good competition, and he could be afforded to have the opponents to allow him to make these adjustments, get better, and do it not having to face tough opponent after tough opponent. Not the case with Duke. ACC is the best league in the country, the deepest league, and they have more road games and home games remaining in the regular season. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been uh, difficult to find the best deal for that game or the concert or the show that you want to attend. And uh, none of the older ticket sites seem that interested in making it easier. But then SeatGeek came along. It's different. They've created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever uh, for fans, for you to buy and sell tickets. It's always the first place I go when I want to buy tickets to a game or a concert. It's the uh, app that Matt Norlander uses when he wants to buy uh, tickets to a game or a concert. It's the app you should use too because SeatGeek, it, it does all the price comparison for you uh, by searching multiple ticket sites and that way you're insured to get the best possible deal. In other words, uh, SeatGeek is going to do all of the work. You're going to save time and you're going to save money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you'll get a $20 rebate uh, off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go get on it. Download that app, SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB. And then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, that promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Downey pull up three. Give it to him. So we got a... Fun day of basketball coming up on Saturday, highlighted, of course, uh, by a non-league showdown uh, between two teams that are uh, projected by most to win their leagues, uh, but are both uh, coming off of losses. And I say projected by most to win their leagues because uh, Kentucky is projected by everybody to win the SEC uh, by multiple games, uh, even though they're coming off that loss at Tennessee. Uh, But Kansas uh, is projected by most. By most humans, but Kim Palm now projects Baylor to be the outright Big 12 champions. Did you know that? I did not know that. Baylor is now projected to be the outright uh, Big 12 champions, according to Kim Palm. So if you hear somebody say everybody is still projecting Kansas to win the Big 12, that's not actually true at this moment. Kim Palm, which is a um, a website we we reference every single podcast and, and almost every single day, um, does project the Baylor Bears uh, to break. Kansas's string of Big 12 championships this season. So keep an eye on that going forward. But uh, gun to head, you ask me, I'll still go with Kansas, if only because I promised myself a long time ago um, I'll never pick against Kansas winning the Big 12 until Kansas uh, does something other than win the Big 12. Tip-off is tomorrow night. It's inside Rupp Arena. And it got more interesting uh, late Thursday uh, when uh, Kansas announced that Carlton Bragg has been suspended indefinitely. Now, and I thought this was smart by Bill. Yes. Um, uh, they made it clear this is not related to the um, uh, sexual assault allegation that is ongoing and that has named five different Kansas basketball players as, quote, witnesses um, who have been interviewed. Now, uh, Bill made it clear earlier this week that if there was any reason to believe any of these players were anything more than witnesses, and witnesses can mean a variety of different things. In other words, if there was anything to 
to suggest that any of these players might have been involved in any way with a sexual assault that happened on campus, they would not be playing right now. And I'm just going to take him at his word, if only because I don't think his administration. Like we live in a, in, a, in a climate now where administrators would not let you play high-profile basketball players for a high-profile basketball program in the middle of a sexual assault uh, investigation if um, if it actually was going to possibly, even possibly lead back to one of your players. Beyond that, it is worth noting that when Kansas had a player, Carlton Bragg, by the way, who was accused of uh, domestic violence, uh, violence against a woman earlier this season, they immediately suspended him. Like, didn't wait to gather facts, didn't wait to see the result of um, a, 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 the, the prosecution. It was like, no, he's been accused of something serious. We're not putting him on the court. Then, of course, those charges were dropped. Um, and, and Bragg was returned to the court. So I think at this point, Kansas does deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I thought it was smart of Bill last night to, to make it very clear this is not tied to that. This is something different. Uh, but the, the, the byproduct is the same. Carlton Bragg is not going to be in uniform uh, for Kansas on Saturday at Rupp Arena. Do you think it matters at all? Um, I would have picked Kentucky to win either way. I'll circle back to that in just a second. Uh, I have a general philosophy on press releases. The shorter they are, the worse it is. This was all of two quick graphs from Kansas late on a Thursday night. That's not common to announce an indefinite suspension. I am curious as to what happened here. I don't have any information yet on what did. But obviously, uh, Bill is not messing around. And Bragg messed up in some significant way to do this because... Kansas is so thin on the front lines, and Kentucky is not. So um, an immediate stand, uh, consider the timing of it. I wonder how long the indefinite suspension will last and what it is tied to. And with that, just real quick here to uh, to address the, uh, the alleged rape of a 16-year-old in the dorm. So if you've seen what dorm Kansas players live in, it's basically occupied, you know, 65% of the people that live in that dorm are, are Kansas basketball players or managers or whatnot. Uh, NCAA does not allow you to specifically have a dorm only for athletes. You have to have actual uh, students that live in there. So in regard to them being witnesses, it could be anything as simple as they were in a common room and someone that could be charged or involved might have crossed paths with them at some point that night. It could be as simple as that. Who knows? But I do believe self when he says none of my players have any real connection to this. Um, but that said, it's it's a it's a horrific allegation. Uh, first of all, you've got an underage girl in a dorm uh, allegedly and getting raped at the age of 16. Uh, that's that's pretty, 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 pretty awful. So we'll see what happens with that. It was absolutely necessary for self to make that clear. Uh, particularly because of Bragg's incident this uh, earlier this season, which was proven to be uh, an erroneous allegation overall. The game, Kentucky has got to have figured have gone up in the line and being an even uh, a bigger favorite here. Kansas's losses here, if they take both of them, West Virginia and Kentucky, will be understandable. Um, this is a big spot for Kentucky to get a win that will help its resume out without a doubt. I I would be really surprised at this point if Kansas can pull this out. They've got the more experienced backcourt. Uh, do they have the better backcourt? That is a tremendous question because they've got the age. They've got Mason and Graham who are just – they work so well together. And Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox work really well together as well. Um, those are the guys that will go obviously very high in the draft. You can't say the same for Mason and Graham. Although if either of those guys, by the way, 
played themselves onto an NBA roster, I wouldn't be shocked. So I'm looking forward to that backcourt matchup. But because Kentucky is at home and because Kansas will really be relying, Landon Lucas is the only guy. Like, they'll run out other guys out there with size, but Lucas is the only guy now that is getting significant minutes that will be playing in the game that is used to, you know, having to go up against this. I just can't see Kansas even keeping it that close. I would say I initially told uh, Kyle Tucker with SECCountry.com that I went, what, Kentucky 78, 72? I'm going to go like 83, 69 at this point. I, wow, I just, blowout. I, I, oh, wow, yeah, blowout. I don't, I don't think Kansas is going to be able to keep it close because I, I like, plus I, I've been waiting like Bam Adebayo has been consistently really good. Like I do my freshman watch. He has been hovering in that like he hasn't gotten into the top 10, but he's like he's been 12 to 14 basically all year. I think he's been better than people realize because he's been overshadowed by Fox and Monk. I think he's going to eat. I think he is going to just absolutely mash in this game. And he is he is due for a really good one. It wouldn't shock me here because also Calipari has said on the record this week, if you do not pass the ball to Bam, you're coming out of the game. So I think that's going to be a. A real point of emphasis for Kentucky's uh, attack on Saturday. I went, because uh, Kyle asked me the same question, I went Kentucky 88, Kansas 86. This is one of those games. I suppose there's a lot of games like this throughout college basketball that, like, on a neutral court, I might take Kansas. Uh, but in Rupp, I'm always taking Kentucky. And at Allen Fieldhouse, I'm always taking Kansas. So, like, whoever the home team is, that's all I need to know. Um, you know, K- Kentucky will be favored, obviously. Uh, John uh, Calipari almost never loses at Rupp Arena, same way Bill Self almost never loses at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, so it it should be a, a phenomenal scene. Um, I mean, you, it's it's not often that you get uh, a non-league game in late January between two traditional powers, like two of the biggest you know brands in college basketball. And I know it's not technically true at this point, but it will be, I believe, within the next year, two Hall of Fame coaches still working in their prime. Uh, so it, it should be an incredible scene. Um, but I and I do think Kentucky probably uh, wins the game. And Kentucky does need it. I think more than Kansas needs it. Because Kentucky right now is just sitting at 3-3 three and three against the Kempom Top 50. And so they lose this one. Uh, they'll go into February with an under 500 record against Top 50 Kempom opponents. That won't be the type of thing that cost them, uh, a, a, you know, a a bid to the NCAA tournament, but it could be the type of thing that keeps them off the one line. And and, and this win, uh, backed by other big wins, could be the type of thing that, that puts them back on the one line. Uh, so it, it's a massive game. Uh, it should be a fun game. And uh, I think Kentucky ultimately wins it. And I think Kentucky needs it more uh, than Kansas actually needs it. Bounces inside. Downey, all the way, jump the baseline, down it in the foul! Then on Sunday, we got another top 15 matchup. Uh, Virginia at Villanova. Cavs have won at Louisville, and they've won at Notre Dame. They're going to win at Virginia, too? I mean, win at Villanova, too? Um, man, I'll, I'll take Nova. I'll take Nova. Give me a um, hmm, 69-65. I think that's a really good game. Uh, looking forward to it. It's a solid weekend overall, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the one on Sunday that I'm looking forward to most and should be the best one. Michigan, Michigan State's at 1 o'clock on CBS. Virginia Villanova's at 1 o'clock on Fox, so those games will kind of smash up against each other. You got a good dual screen thing going on with that. And uh, Sunday in general, GP, just real quick here, um, and I'll circle back to Nova and, and toss it and volley it back to you, but Indiana looked awful on Thursday night, could not keep it close against Michigan, 
And so now they've got to go to Northwestern and play at Northwestern. And Northwestern looks really good. Looks like they're going to cruise into the tournament, which would be a really cool story. I, I can't say the Hoosiers need to steal that win. But they it would just really benefit their profile if they can get a road win against a projected NCAA tournament team. And I don't know if they can do it. We'll address the Hoosiers, I, I would think, on Monday if they cannot get a win over the Wildcats there. Xavier had an amazing game from Trayvon Blue at a top five performance in college basketball this season, in my opinion, who went for 40. He was at one point 10 for 10 on his first 10 attempts in the game, eight of them being three pointers. He looked awesome. The rest of Xavier did not. So they could not win at Cincinnati. And because of it, Xavier now, we've touched on this before, but they're a 14 and 16. And the wins are, are just, they're lacking. Utah is their best win. Maybe Clemson. I would think Utah is better than Clemson personally, but Utah is, a 14 and 16 that couldn't get a win over Oregon uh, last night. So now Xavier is just St. John's is not an automatic. I know they're not great, but they've been able to randomly beat teams this year. So keep an eye on that as well. Um, Nova beating Virginia on Sunday would go a very long way to the Wildcats having a one seed, in my opinion, because I don't expect them to lose more than two more games in the Big East and with what they've done out of conference, having that road win against Purdue, having beaten Notre Dame. I think if Villanova gets to the end of the regular season with four losses or less, they'll probably have a pretty good shot at a one seed. Uh, and that would include a win over Virginia. So I do think that they'll win. It's going to be very fascinating because Nova's very good on defense and Virginia obviously is Virginia. I mean, on offense, Virginia is Virginia on defense. So that's the game that I'm actually most intrigued by this weekend and you know between Saturday and Sunday we're loaded with a lot of fun ones ready straight up I'm taking Virginia over Villanova straight up straight up Virginia over Villanova on Sunday vanilla (laughs) Virginia over Villanova on Sunday at Villanova Straight up. Hey, you know who wasn't straight up? Dylan Brooks. Did you see that flop last night? What in the world? What are you doing? What are you doing? Here's the real deal on Brooks, okay? So he has kicked a guy in the groin this year. He is um, definitely (laughs) one who plays with his emotions on the floor. And he has that. He is... Do I dare say this? I mean, is this is this hot takey? But he is he is kind of a West Coast Grayson Allen because if you take really it, watch him, take his take his apparel away, then take his locker room away. <laughs> and that was that was brutal. I, I know many people listening to this podcast have seen that flop, but if you have not, it's up on the site and you can check our Twitter feeds or whatever. It's it is hideous. It, <laughs> it's really one of the. It looks like he is overtaken by ghosts and spirits. It's <laughs> it's bad. I actually uh, I channeled Seinfeld in my post on it and said it was a full body dry heave set to basketball instead of set to music a la Elaine Bennis. So I, I couldn't get let us get out of the podcast without addressing that just brutal flop. But Oregon did get the win, by the way, and they are they are on a huge win streak at this point. Uh, just you know, don't forget about the Ducks. They're a top 10 team. They'll remain that. And uh, between the Ducks and Arizona, uh, you know, UCLA, it's, it's pretty much a given now because they fell at USC. UCLA will not win the Pac-12. And you have a current piece up about what we talked about previously uh, in terms of UCLA's issues with its defense and that precluding the Bruins from a historical perspective uh, to getting to a final. Yeah, you know, uh, simply put, the numbers in history are not on their side. 
Uh, I do point out that a, a great offense is the best way, obviously, to overcome a, a sketchy defense, but that defense is historically bad uh, for a team that's trying to get uh, to, to the Final Four. And it, it doesn't mean that they can't do it, uh, but it does mean that they have to be awesome offensively to win against quality opponents. And you saw what happened uh, on Wednesday night when they weren't. When they weren't awesome offensively, they, they, can't, they can't guard well enough to prevent the other team from scoring enough uh, to pull away from them. Uh, again, uh, they can maybe make a Final Four, win a national championship even, but they're either going to have to do one of two things. Uh, either uh, improve drastically defensively, or which seems hard to do at this point in the season, or um, they're going to have to, to get in that NCAA tournament and post historically great offensive numbers. They've got probably three future NBA players, uh, some terrific upperclassmen and you know, Bryce Alford and Isaac Hamilton and Thomas Wells. So, like, if anybody's equipped to do it, it is them. Um, but that is what it would take for them to reach a Final Four, win a national championship. If they don't get better on the defensive end of the court, they would have to be one of the. They'd have to put on one of the great um, all-time uh, offensive performances in uh, in NCAA tournament history. So uh, keep an eye on that. You can read that column. It's got all the details in there over at CBSSports.com. Remember. You can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So uh, please do that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Again, I apologize for my voice. Perhaps I'll be better when we talk again on Sunday night. Until then, take care. Frederick to throw it in. Gets it to the hands of Downey. He's checked by Meeks. Two of the best in the country matched up here. Ten seconds left. It's going to be win or lose in the hands of Downey. Devin Downey, pull up shot. He's on its way. It's good. 